And it's time now for the Rural News with Sally Murphy in Ōtautahi. Kia ora Sally, and there's been varied reaction from growers about the government's new policy to protect productive land. Kia ora Mani. Yeah, the newly released national policy statement requires councils to identify, map and manage productive land to protect it from housing developments. Veggie grower Jay Clark from Woodhaven Gardens in Horofenua says it's important to protect fertile land, but there are some aspects of the policy that could come back to bite growers. He says protecting productive land and soil is just one part of the puzzle. If you have a situation where, say, the national policy statement for fresh water, a vegetable grower is told, well, sorry, we're going to restrict your water reuse or we're going to restrict your nutrient use, and it's no longer viable for them to grow vegetables there, they are now um, no longer able to exit that land, get their capital back, and then maybe go and buy another block of land in the catchment that isn't under so much pressure and start vegetable growing somewhere else because their capital is sort of now tied into a degraded asset. Jay Clark says the horticulture sectors tried to work with the government to put safeguards in place, but that hasn't eventuated. But Horticulture NZ Chief Executive Nadine Tunley says the policy should give growers, especially those right on the edges of growing cities, more certainty. It will give them more certainty about where they develop land uh, how they can function on the land they currently have because there's a lot of problems with that where we're in the peri-urban areas. So um, it's a good first step. We're really happy and appreciate that. But we're looking forward to continued work. Bharat Jarvan, who owns Jarvan Produce in Pukekohe, says the policy will help the area continue to serve as a food bowl. He hopes it will slow the urban creep onto valuable growing spaces. Over the 50 years I've been here, I've witnessed the urban creep and it's intensified in the last 15 years, seen vast tracts of land lost to housing, to fill the housing short shortages. Not all land is created equal, and we see the land in Pukekohe as being quite unique. The volcanic clay loams here are worth protecting. That's Bharat Jarvan, and councils will have three years to map out the productive land. Beef herd numbers in New Zealand have dropped by the biggest rate since 2015. Beef and Lamb NZ's recent stock survey shows the country's beef herd decreased by 0.9% or 35,000 head in the year to June. AgriHQ senior analyst Mel Crowd explains the drop. The serious weather events suffered by the likes of Northland, Bay of Plenty and Waikato, which included drought this year, did cause feed shortages and stock numbers to be offloaded. Uh, and look, the same could be said for Otago and Southland as well, that were both hit by significant drought and minimal feed conditions. We've also seen the likes of Taranaki and Manawatu, seen farms decrease the number of calves they reared just after a few seasons of, of struggles. And fewer breeding cows have also impacted numbers, while strong processing prices have also changed uh, farming systems for some. Mel Crowd says the East Coast is the only spot throughout the North Island to, re- to report an increase in herd numbers as farmers there rebuild herds after back-to-back droughts in 2020. The flow of Kiwi shearers heading across the Tasman in early spring might slow this year because of improved pay rates in New Zealand. Traditionally, October and November are quiet times for Kiwi shearers, so they head across the Tasman for pre-season work. But Australian Shearing Contractors Association Jason Leachford says despite the border being open after two difficult years, New Zealanders may hunt for more work at home, making the shearer shortage in Australia even worse. New Zealand shearing contractors and farmers have been 
quite uh, vocal in giving all their workers in New Zealand a pay rise, uh, and they're basically looking at the same rates that we're advertising here and matching those rates. Um, so there's a slight currency difference, but basically here in Australia you get $4 a head to shear a merino sheep, and they're, pay- they're certainly paying that in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, and similar money for the crossbreds, slightly slightly less, but the you know, and in terms of a daily rate because you'll shear more sheep in New Zealand because of the style of sheep. So in other words, New Zealand rates have, have really stepped up to uh, counter the wave of New Zealanders coming to Australia. Jason Leachford says the shearing ind- industry in Australia is also struggling to compete with the mines, which offer workers six-figure pay packets. In what's believed to be a world first, scientists here are combining two technologies to identify the genes in the stomachs of livestock responsible for producing methane. Methane accounts for 44% of New Zealand's total greenhouse gas emissions. Most of this comes from livestock. Ag Research has received $1 million through MB's Endeavour Fund to do the research, which will combine machine learning algorithms and gene editing technologies. Lead researcher Sandeep Gupta says there's still a lot to learn about how livestock produce methane. In the rumen, it's a very complex environment where you have a wide variety of uh, microorganisms from bacteria to archaea, and they interact in a very complex manner. We have some understanding uh, that what sort of interactions might be going on, but With this project, what we are trying to achieve is that we want to understand that interaction at a gene level, at genetic level, and exploit that in a way so that we can develop some mitigation approaches to target methane emission in ruminants. Mr Gupta says once they've identified methane-producing genes, they can then test if they're affected by inhibitors like vaccines. And just lastly, after 139 years, Hawera's annual A&P show is being moved to later in the summer. Normally held in November, the next show will now take place in February. Egmont A&P Association Vice President Georgina Maud says this year the event will be split in two. So we've always had an equestrian section within our show and both the equestrian section and the show itself have wanted to grow, so we've decided to enable that and really make the best of both, that we'll have two dates. So we'll still be holding an equestrian-only show on our traditional dates in November, and we'll be moving our big show to February. Georgina Maud says the show was cancelled last year due to COVID, so the association is looking forward to welcoming crowds back to the showgrounds. And that's the Rural News. Koe rā te o te tai whenua.